You're going to be in class today? You're going to sit here? Yeah. Here, come up close here. Let's read this. It's pretty interesting. It's about dragons. Today we're reading a little bit about Maharaj Parikshit, and he was burned to death by a fire-breathing dragon. You see the picture? Yeah, it's a dragon. Right. Snake, bird, dragon, it's just different, you know, way of, same thing. No, don't even worry about it. Sit down. Okay, so today is the codice, fasting from beans and grains. We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 12th Canto, chapter 10. And we're beginning with text number 33. Um, let's see here. This chapter is entitled, Lord Shiva and Uma Glorify Markande Rishi. It's such a beautiful chapter of Lord Shiva speaking. And um, we're starting here with text number 33. And ah, here we are. So we chant a little Jairata Madhava, and then we can start. Radha Madhava Jaya Kuncha Hari Gopichana Vallabha Jaya Girivanad Hari Jaya Girivadabhavari Yasuranandana Brajajana Yasodanandana Brajajana Jaya Jamuna Tira Vanachari Jayakunjabi Hari So please repeat Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasu Devaya. Devaya. Om, Om Namo, Namo. Bhagavate, Bhagavate. Vasu, Vasu Devaya. Devaya. Very good. So I'll read the Sanskrit here. It goes, Kambrene nu param pumam varam tvat varha darshanat yad darshanat. Purna kama satya kama pumam bhavet. So translation. O all-pervading Lord, 
since I have received the benediction of seeing you, what other benediction can I ask for? Simply by seeing you, a person fulfills all his desires and can achieve anything imaginable. But I do not request one benediction from you, who are full of all perfection and able to shower down the fulfillment of all desires. I ask to have unfailing devotion for the Supreme Personality of Godhead and for His dedicated devotees, especially you. Purport. The words, Tareshu Tata Tai, indicate, um, clearly indicate, that Lord Shiva is a devotee of the Supreme Lord, not the Supreme Lord Himself. Because the representative of God is offered the same protocol as God Himself. Markandeya Rishi addressed Lord Shiva as Lord in previous verses. But now it is clearly revealed that, as stated throughout Vedic literature, Lord Shiva is an eternal servant of God and not God himself. Desire manifests itself within the mind and heart according to the subtle laws governing consciousness. Pure desire is to engage in the loving service of the Lord, and that brings one to the most exalted platform of consciousness, and as such, a perfect understanding of life available is available only by the special mercy of the Lord's devotee. So this verse is really nice. Um, it's glorifying Lord Shiva, not as the Supreme Lord, but as the devotee of the Lord. Actually, the devotee of the Lord becomes even superior to the Lord. A lot of times, the Mayavadi philosophers, they talk about um, offering their followers the benediction of becoming God. But even superior to God is the persons that God loves. You see? The devotees of the Lord are more dear to the Lord than his own heart and soul. Plus, the position's already taken, right? Nobody needs to become God. God is already there. Krishna is already there. And he's doing a pretty good job, isn't he, Sam? Right? Prashadam's really good around here, isn't it? Pictures are nice. Deities are beautiful. Music's sweet. We have philosophy. We have festivals. Right? What more can you ask for? All this other stuff is just giving people a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. A simple life, just taking prasadam and chanting and associating with devotees is so much more satisfying than running after fame and wealth. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of competition too, no matter what you do in the material world. And that makes things even more difficult. So the first point here is that Lord Shiva, he's being respected and he's being um, glorified not as God, but as the devotee of God. And the devotee of God is superior to God because God loves the devotee more than he loves himself. Just like Mother Yashoda, Krishna will always protect Mother Yashoda. He loves her so much, he'll do anything for her and he always associates with her. So there's no need to become God. In fact, that is just a crazy idea. Yeah. Then the next point that's made here is that 
desire, it manifests itself within the mind and heart according to the subtle laws governing consciousness. So when we think that we're a spirit soul and not this body, then we understand that spirit soul lives forever and God lives forever. So we want to be with God. We want to be with Krishna because that's our natural you know, inclination, that's our natural state of consciousness to live forever to uh, and to love someone forever, right? You've seen that, you know, like uh, Mary loves Jack forever, right? So love is meant to last forever. It's not meant to just die, you know, in a coffin or something and just disappear. That's, very, um, that's a very painful situation. So our natural consciousness is to have an eternal body, and to live and love God, because God is eternal. You see? We can do that right now, because we're, we're not this body. Yeah, and we become very happy. See, the other subtle law is that if we think we're this body, then we think that we're going to get happiness through sense enjoyment, like smoking cigarettes or, or uh, illicit sex and gambling, intoxication, meat-eating. But all of that type of sense gratification, it doesn't give any real happiness. It's just like, um, it's just that we, we, we falsely imagine that there is happiness, but there actually is no happiness. You see? So these subtle laws, they govern consciousness. And pure consciousness and pure desire, that means our original consciousness, you know, the, uh, the correct, our correct behavior, our co- correct way of thinking is to be engaged in the loving service of the Lord. That's what gives us a perfect understanding about life. When we see everything is meant for loving service to the Lord. Just like yesterday, the kids were playing with a tree, around a tree, and they started to pull the leaves off the tree. So one of their parents said, don't do that, that hurts the tree. Then I told them, if you're going to pull off a leaf, if you want to pull off the leaf, don't just throw it on the ground, but take the leaf, pull it off nicely, don't hurt the tree, don't yank it off, take it off slowly and gently, and then offer those leaves to Krishna. Krishna, he says, if you offer me a leaf, a flower, water, or some food stuff with love, I'll accept it. And the tree gets benefit. And Krishna looks very beautiful when you decorate him with leaves and flowers. You see, just like in the flower vases, there's so many different types of leaves and flowers. Krishna, he loves that. He he thinks it's very nice. You see? So, that's our natural um, and pure state of desire. We shouldn't look at things and think, oh, I want this for me. We should think, oh, this would be very nice for Krishna. This building would be very nice for Krishna. This clothing would be very nice for Krishna. This jewelry would be very nice for Krishna. This food would be very nice for Krishna. And naturally, when we think like that, our heart becomes soft and we feel very peaceful and happy. So it says here that this perfect understanding of life is available only by the special mercy of the Lord's devotees. So, you see, we have to see that this, the sweetness of chanting the holy name, the sweetness of serving Krishna, 
that's being experienced by Krishna's devotees. So it's very important that we learn this from the devotee because only a devotee can teach us the sweetness of devotional service. A scholar or a rich man or somebody powerful, they don't have that experience. So when they talk about these things, it's very dry or it's very uh, academic, you see. But it doesn't actually give us that that that. that satisfaction that we're hankering for, the experience of love and the experience of being situated in our original loving consciousness. Do you have any questions? No, sometimes mental hospitals are good for us. If we're sick and we're going to do something that could hurt ourselves or hurt other people, the mental hospital is, is organized by doctors and nurses to help us, not to make us mad. We're becoming mad because our mind is out of control. So we need to be in a situation where we're protected until our mind comes back into our control, right? We can't, we don't want to be walking around uh, out of our minds. If people go out of their mind, that's when they kill each other, that's when they hurt each other, that's when they fight with each other, they say bad things about each other. But that never helps anybody, all that does is make everybody else feel sad to cursing at God, cursing at anyone, doing anything that's violent or mean. I mean, of course, sometimes we need violence if a criminal attacks, say, our children or our wife or, you know, somebody, innocent person, you know, then we may have to use violence to protect them. But we're not meant to be violent people. We're not meant to be. We're meant to be peaceful and loving. Violence is only used in an extreme situation. Like, you know, if a tiger is going to bite you, right? So sometimes you have to use violence. You have to use something to protect yourself, you know, so you don't get hurt. Because we met, we have to keep our health good and our state of mind nice so that we can love and serve Krishna and Krishna's devotees. So don't worry about it, you know. Everybody gets angry once in a while. It's not like it, it... It's not a matter of stopping the modes of material nature, you know. Just like anger is a product of the mode of ignorance. Attraction to men and women is... The, uh, opposite sex is in the mode of passion. Attraction for money, attraction for fame and recognition, all that's in the mode of passion. So... It's not that women are bad or men are bad or money is bad, but when we think about it for our own petty, selfish desires, then we become degraded. Our heart gets hard and we hurt other people. And motive goodness means when we study a lot and then we start to think that we're better than other people, we have this sense of happiness that comes from the motive goodness. But also along with that is the false ego to think that we're superior to others. So, but our original pure consciousness, so we want to get free from those things. Our original pure consciousness is to think, I'm a devotee of Krishna and to love and serve Krishna. But don't worry about it. You know, whatever happened in the past, there's no way we can change that. So, but our future, you see, is is like an empty um, book it's like an empty chalkboard and we can now write whatever story we like on the board or in the book 
So we have to take life one day at a time and try to write, you know, our life story in such a way that it's very, you know, happy and fun. Okay, so I'm going to stop here. <laughs> I have to... What, you want to talk more about it? We've got some more time if you like. You just popped in. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to read a little bit more. And, um, you know, what's really interesting, see here, is that, that, um, Mark and Rishi, even though Lord Shiva could make him like very rich and very powerful and some, but Mark and Rishi is not interested in that. Mark and Rishi, he's only interested in being with Lord Shiva and learning how to love Krishna from Lord Shiva. So, you see, the Lord loves everybody. If we come to him and we ask him for a million dollars, he loves us. But if we come and just tell Krishna, actually, I just want to be with you, I just want to serve and love you, then Krishna becomes really happy. And automatically everything else comes. Let's just say, like, a really great person came into the temple. Who's a great person, Krishna Kripa Peru? Okay, so let's say President Trump came. You know, one of my friends just sent me a picture of President Trump, and he was writing in the picture that, you know, I was always wondering where he got this hairdo from. And then after that, he sent me a picture of David Bowie. And he said, and now I figured it out. Actually, if you study the life of President Trump, he's really tried to do a lot of nice things for the country. And, uh, you know, you're shaking your head no, but actually if you, you follow, you know, some of his history, I mean, just like for us as the Hare Krishna movement, he was kind enough to give Jayananda Prabhu a place in New York to build the original Rathyatra carts for the Rathyatra in New York City. And, you know, he obviously must have seen you know, at least the carts, but maybe even attended the Rathyatra. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that, like, if everybody in the city of Dallas wanted to join our movement right now, we wouldn't expect them all to move in the temple. You know, we have to understand that, you know, People can practice devotional service in all different religions. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he writes about that. that even Christians and Muslims and, it's all, you know, different traditions, cultural traditions are not devoid of devotion. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he writes, and even like, uh, you can see that even in like, uh, I like soul music and blues. I find a lot of spiritual, you know, connection there. But, you know, just like, um, the point I wanted to make is Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he writes in the uh, Krishna Samhita that there are Kanishtadikaris, Madhyamadikaris, and Uttamadikaris. Do you know what that means? Kanishta means a neophyte person that just worships God and doesn't care about, care about anybody else. And they're like a separatist, and they're usually very, um, what, what's the word I want to use? You know, like rude and condescending to people, you know? And to other people. Um, so that's a Kanishtadikari. Then a Madhyamadikari is someone that makes distinctions between somebody that's a, a advanced spiritually, that has love of God, 
somebody that is um, equally practicing, you know, on the same, same level as they are, somebody that recognizes um, innocent people that don't know about God, and they also recognize the demoniac and atheistic people. Hare so, I've been watching this gentleman come in and out of the temple every day. I have to introduce myself. And is this someone you know, Mother Chandra? I see. My name is Naratam. Naratam Das. Hare Krishna. Oh, wait, we have to say the questions now. But I'm sorry, I don't even know your name. Oh. He's from where? Croatia? European? Oh, far out. Anyway, nice that you come. Hi, Christian. So, hold on. We're talking Kanishtadikari, right? Then we have the Madhyamadikari, and then we have an Uttamadikari. Uttamadikari is someone that just does spontaneously loves and serves Krishna with all of their actions of body, mind, and words. And they relate to and see everyone else as a devotee of Krishna. They don't make those distinctions. So even an Uttamadikari will come down to the Madhyam platform so that they can preach. Because for most of us, because we don't understand even what real love is, you know? So it's very confusing when we see them, the things that they do. And even generally, they're very transcendental. Like um, Transcendental means that they have no real interest in a worldly... Um, Prophet. So, you know, like, I mean, for, for somebody say that's like so renounced that, um, we have an example of like Gorgashurdas Babaji. So he used to eat, eat out of an empty human skull as an act of, as an act of renunciation. Because, you know, this body, we're, we're so much in love with our body, we're so much in love with our ego, but actually it's a skull and bones, and uh, it's kind of, you know, all this stuff inside is really kind of yuck. So, you know, a great renunciate, somebody that understands the material world, you know, performs activities which are, like, like you know, unbelievable to the common person. You see? So, you know, so that type of devotee will come down to the, a platform that we can understand and relate to. But my point is, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he talks about how you can find this neophyte, this intermediate stage and advanced stage throughout the world in all different cultures and all different religious traditions. So it's not that we want to convert to a different religion or give up this tradition or an what what's unique here is that we have deity worship. You see? Like when I was growing up, I was in the Catholic Church and I loved it. It was very nice. And our community was very supportive. And I still appreciate and love going to a, a cathedral and uh, the, the, the bishops. Um, sometimes the Jesuit priests come here. They're very, very nice. And they're very educated too. The most, they're all PhDs and... Uh, they're very nice to talk to, and they have a lot of insight into spiritual life. Um, but the point I want to make is that they don't have um, the details of worship that's offered in the Vedic literature. Like, you know, when you, um, 
I'll give you an example. Like when I was growing up, so I was going to catechism. So when they showed us a picture of God, God was an old man with a big beard, like he's the oldest person, right? So they, they, they um, illustrated that by drawing him as an old man, sitting on a throne, and he had a blank oval for a face. Because God is so great that nobody has been able to, you know, really read. Exactly. And, and then the same thing in the Muslim tradition. In the Muslim tradition, they also say that God is, has no worldly features. So, um, they say that God is, uh, not, is, a, is not personal. God is not personal. But what's interesting in the Christian tradition and in the Muslim tradition, they have the personality of Satan. Judaism also. So, um, which is a person. But, so, the point I want, one point I want to make is that, um, you know, this tradition gives you a very up-close and easy way to understand our, our relationship with God as a person. Um, there are reasons why these traditions, or there are reasons why, uh, say, Western science is impersonal. Um, like, I'll give you a few, uh, um, you know, philosophical points, just like in... Um, in the Mayavadi school, Mayavadi school means that everything in this material world is illusion. Maya, right? We have this word Maya, which means illusion. So Mayavadi says that the material world is an illusion and everything here is false. Okay? So, But they do accept that God is absolute. So now, if God is absolute, um, that means that God is one with everything. Just like you guys heard that uh, little antidote of the Buddhist and the Mayavadi that went to a pizza shop. You guys heard that? Yeah, the Buddhist monk and the Mayavadi, you know, sannyasi, they both went to a pizza shop. And so the girl came over, you know, like, welcome to, you know, um, what? Giovanni's pizza, how can I help you? So the Mayavadi says, the Mayavadi says, um, I will take a pizza, uh, what, uh, with, I'll take a pizza with everything, with everything. And then the Buddha says, and I'll take a pizza with nothing. Hey, Bhagavan Narda, Harvo Puruji. I'll take, uh, yeah, I'll take, no, here, <coughs> I got it now. I will take one with everything. And then the Buddha says, I will take one with nothing. You know that joke, right? It's a good, Do you guys all know Bhagavan Narda? Well, I'm sure Krishna Kripa knows Bhagavan Narda. He's a disciple guru for Shadmaraj. He's visiting from San Antonio. He's in charge of the preaching center there. And him and his wife do these amazing films. I think he won number one rock film for the year. Like, and he's uh, got a record label and a, and that, hey, well, I'm thinking about it and you're here. There's a lady who comes. There's a lady who's here, who comes here and I told her about you. She's like 30 years old. African American. She's a pretty good musician. She's a, um, she's a, a kind of like, comes in that whole vein of, um, Hank, not Hank Williams. What's that guy? 
Old time country? No, no, no. But she, what's the other one? That the guy that's famous down the street from here that smokes pot and stuff? Uh, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson's son. Yeah, that's like her favorite artist. So I don't know if you can do anything with her, but I, uh, if you like, I'll, I'll send her your way. She's really nice. I think she had you know a little bit of extra loving care. I've sent her to the Los Angeles Bach team program. She was really into it. But she ended up sitting there for like four or five hours a day and got so bored she ended up at her cousin's house in Hollywood and then she was back here about a week later, you know. Check her out, you know. I'll send her your way. Yeah. She's a really interesting uh, person, and she's a uh, jewelry designer as well, you know. Yeah, she's a professional. She types really good, too. So, anyway, we were talking about how in every tradition, um, in every tradition, a Bhaktivinoda points out in the Krishna Samhita, which is a summary of the entire Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhaktivinoda thought that he would die before he could finish translating and commenting on the Bhagavatam like Prabhupada did. So he did a summary of the entire Bhagavatam in the Krishna Samhita. Very similar to what um, Srila Bhakti Sananta Saraswati did with the um, uh, Brahma Samhita. Like soon, my, our Guru Maharaj, before he passed away, he did a lecture series. You can listen to it online on the entire Brahma Samhita. So the Brahma Samhita was written in English by Srila Bhakti Sananta Saraswati. And Lord Chaitanya accepted the Brahma Samhita as one of the most important Vaishnava texts because... The verses are the entire Srimad Bhagavatam. And the uh, commentary, which is a compilation of Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbha commentary on those verses, and Bhaktisanata Saraswati's additional commentary and summary of the Acharyas, is the entire Chaitanya Charitamrita. So if you learn the Brahma Samhita and the uh, commentary on it, you actually have the entire Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita in a nutshell. And the same thing with uh, Krishna Samhita by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. You have the entire Bhagavatam in that book. And these books are, are, are giving classes on, I'm not trying to direct you guys to like read the books of other, you know, the Gaudiya Mat or other uh, persons outside of our movement, but these books have been, um, you know, talked about by Srila Prabhupada. He introduced the um, two verses of the Brahma Samhita, um, that we listen to every day, a, a greeting the deities, Govinda Mari Prusham to Bajami. And also these, um, there's a wonderful lecture series that are done every year in Vrindavan, um, over the course of the Vrindavan Institute of Higher Education. It's a one month course in Vrindavan, which is amazing. Anybody who hasn't gone, I highly recommend. It, or you can take an extended, like, master's course, um, which is done at the Guru Kul in Vrindavan, and it, it lasts for six months. And they talk, they give you you know an entire in depth look at this literature. Um, so the point Bhaktivinoda Thakur is making is that there are uh, neophytes, there are Kanishtadikaris or neophytes, Madhyamadikaris or intermediate practitioners, and Uttamadikaris or pure saintly people in every religious tradition. <laughs> Wait. Here, I'm going to finish and then we'll talk, okay? Sam, give me a couple more minutes because then I lose my train of thought. It's hard for me to go back. So the point we were just talking about now 
is, well, what is unique about Krishna consciousness? Because it sounds like, wow, Narutam, you know, let's just go out and become Christians or Muslims or, you know, Buddhists or whatever, you know. Like if it's all the same, you know, you know, then what's unique? Why are we here, you know? I mean, there's a lot more people at the Christian church right now. So the point is that we have a few unique things here. One, we have the practice of deity worship. And what I was talking about is in the Catholic tradition, which I love, I was raised like that, I, I still go to uh, the Catholic um, uh, you know, cathedral, mass, and uh, I have friends that are Catholics that I love deeply, dear, dearly. But when I was in catechism, they showed me a picture of God, and God was an old man with a big beard, because they say he's the oldest person, and sitting on a throne in heaven, and he has a blank oval for a face. Now, the problem that you have when you remove the deity, when you remove the form of God from your practice of spiritual life, is that you experience, you have feelings, you have desires, you have a, you want a intimate and meaningful relationships. So that's like a, you have intelligence, right? You have, a, there's so, you have so many personal attributes and qualities. So let's just compare that to a bucket of water. Now, if I tell you to love a blank oval, right? The blank oval. um, So it's like trying to take a bucket of water and pour it into a foam cup. It just doesn't fit. You see? You cannot love a blank oval. So what ends up happening is the religion becomes very mundane in its practice. Its philosophy may not be mundane, but the daily in and out activities become very mundane because people cannot live, you know, loving a blank oval. So what ends up happening is, love thy neighbor as I love thyself. So you end up just becoming very humanitarianistic, philanthropic by nature. You see, because of the lack of understanding God as a person. How does he look? What does he do? What is, what are his feelings? How does he, you know, love his, um, his family and his friends and the devotees and all living beings? Yeah, what's he like? Yeah. What's he like to eat? What's he like to do? Right? Like Krishna doesn't like to, you know, build factories. Krishna doesn't want us to eat nuts and bolts. You know? So, anyway. Um, now, if you look at the... Re- why do these religions... Why are religions... Why is the Mayavadi philosophy... Why is even Western science impersonal? Okay? Well, see, like in the Mayavadi tradition... You know, where I was making the joke, right? I want one uh, with everything. So what they say is everything's God... I'm God, you're God, it's all, we're, we're, we're all one. Okay, we're all one. Because they accept that God is absolute. Okay, so they're saying you're God, he's God, she's God, he's God, I'm God, you know, and Krishna is also God. Right? We're all God. All right? It's just now you're in the Maya, you don't realize it. Right? So anyway, we all know so many arguments about this, but the point that I want to illustrate here is that um, 
You see, to accommodate the absolute nature of God, because God is absolute, right? We say that about the holy name, right? God and, and the holy name are this, are one, right? That's why we don't chant Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, right? Coke, Coke and the name, uh, which, have you guys tried the new uh, or, Mandarin Orange Vanilla Coke? Uh, neither have I. Had it. Looks really tempting, though. Anyway, um... Trying to wake you up back there. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, you see, certainly uh, five is closer to one than ten. Right? And two is closer to one than five. Right? So what the Mayavadis do is they want to bring everything down to one. All is one. Right? But when you bring everything down to one, you still have one point and you have a background. So you still have duality. So that's why they say God is ultimately void. Because otherwise they can't accommodate the oneness of God, the absolute nature of God. They don't accept that God has a transcendental body. Because what they're saying is that as soon as you embody God, you limit God. Right? God's only, what, he's about four and a half feet tall. Right? He has two arms, two eyes, ears, a nose, and a mouth, and, you know, a cute belly button. You see it? So they're saying as soon as you put a form on God, you limit God. But what we're saying is that God's form is transcendental. It's not, right? It can expand, it can contract. Krishna can lift Govardhan. Krishna can return to the spiritual. Yeah, he can be in every, within every atom. He, he can, you know, um, be 125 years old and have, you know, thousands of grandkids and still look like he's 20 years old, Right? So Krishna's form is not limited. See, they don't accept that there is spiritual form that has unlimited qualities. So what you end up what you end up with is void. And the same thing, like, do you guys know what transcendental means? What's transcendental mean? Beyond? Beyond the mundane? Any other? Definition. The dictionary definition of transcendental means something that is beyond the influence of time. So we have past, all of us are experiencing past, present, and future. Now, what they're saying is, therefore, the, if scientists talk about the origin of life, the origin of creation, okay? And this also touches on this, the Mayavadi and the Buddhists, all right? Um, so, now, if you talk about personality, okay? So, what do we know about personality? Such as? Color of the skin, right? What else? Subtle, deep, we have desire, intelligence, right? That When we think about person, when we think about something dead, matter, like a stone, Right? It doesn't have any feelings, doesn't have any consciousness, doesn't have desires, right? Doesn't have likes and dislikes. So whenever we think about personality, 
We think about activities. We think about feelings. We think about, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, attributes and actions and yeah. So now, when you take that, okay, to um, you know, and you start to discuss a personality as the origin of creation, you see what the point that I want to make is that when you talk about creation, you're talking about an object, a space, a planet, whatever, that is created, exists for some time, and then vanishes. Right? Past, present, future. That's time. Okay? So the origin of creation has to exist before time. Otherwise, how can it be the origin, right? If you talk about something being created, it means the creator or the origin of that creation has to exist before the creation. Hey, you guys follow that, right? Okay, so when you talk about personality, everything that a person does takes time. If you want to walk in the next room and have prashadam, it takes time. If you want to um, think about something, it takes time. If you want to talk with somebody, it takes time. So, according to that definition, people, what we know of as personality and of being people, means an entity that exists within time. How can anything personal be performed outside of time? To raise your hand takes time. To open your eyes, to speak, to think. Everything takes time. So the reason scientists say that the or- that God cannot be a person and that the origin of creation cannot be a person because personality is under the confines of time. So they're saying that if the origin of creation exists prior to the creation, maintenance, and annihilation of this universe, it has to be impersonal. It has to be energetic. It has to be something without personal attributes. Because to be a person requires time. So therefore, their conclusion and their scientific research indicates that the origin of life exists prior to time. If it's not influenced by time, you see, then it cannot have personal attributes. Now, what we're saying, I'll give you a really good example. Just like one feature of being transcendental, which means beyond the influence of time, okay, is that you become aware of past, present and future. In Sanskrit, it's referred to as Trikalagya. There are many famous um, spiritual masters, spiritual authorities in our literature that were in that position, like Narada Muni, he could see past, present, and future. But Krishna himself, you see, not only is he aware of all activities, but Krishna is aware of everything that's taken place in the past, everything that's taking care present, you know, that, that, that's taking place at this very millisecond, and he's aware of everything that will happen in the future. Okay, according to this definition, tree color gap. All right. So, um, 
The example I want to give you to illustrate this is, you know, see, they're saying if God is a person, he has to be within time, okay, to exhibit personal attributes. Therefore, God must ultimately be impersonal. That's what the Mayavadis are saying. That's what the Buddhists say. That's what the scientists say. Okay? Now, let's look at a pot of water for a minute. So if you have a pot of water, the pot is certainly outside of the water. Right? We wouldn't say that the pot is in the water. But the pot also contains the water within it. Okay? So in the same way, Krishna, he's existing outside of time. But Krishna also contains time within himself. He's he's conscious and he's containing everything in the past, the present, and the future. So this is an example to show that a transcendental person can exist outside of the influence of time and can contain time. Okay? All right, so I'm going to stop here, you guys, because I'm going to, if I keep going, it's going to get more complicated. I think that's enough for right now. So you follow? So just the, the, the two things I want to say, what's unique here, yes, we can find love and devotion, you know, in, in every tradition of the world, every form of music, every form of religion, every form of, of interpersonal relationship contains some of, uh, 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 when, when a human being manifests their spiritual nature, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that when a person thinks about the well-being of others and wants to love and help other people, they have come to, they're, they're coming, that is the human platform and that's the platform where one's spiritual identity is beginning to manifest. Animalistic people Right? Are when we're, when we become animalistic, we just think about exploiting, dominating, controlling others. So when a person comes to the point of realizing that actually it's my nature to help and love and appreciate, you know, other people, their spiritual qualities are manifest, beginning to manifest. So every tradition has that. Now, what we're seeing in our tradition here is we have detailed information about God as a person, not just God like the, the, we actually see there's both a male and female form of God, Radha and Krishna. And their loving relationship is the center of the spiritual world. And each of us has an eternal identity meant to facilitate and serve that loving relationship with acts of devotion. And we're meant to use everything that we see and every relationship that we have to please and serve Radha and Krishna. That's our natural condition. I mean, that's what, you know, when you, that's the world after Krishna consciousness. You know, when we go outside, we see a flower, you know, we're meant to think, oh, that would look so beautiful in Radharani's garland, you know, for Krishna's pleasure or, you know, and so forth. We're supposed to be learning the culture of connecting everything to Radha and Krishna's loving relationship and service. We're thinking, oh, this devotee is a really good musician. She's very artistic. You know, he's a great cook. 
uh, somebody's really strong, we're meant to say, oh wow, you know, this person would really be a nice devotee for Krishna's pleasure as an artist, as a dancer, as a singer, as a performer, as a, you know, teacher, as a whatever, you know, every single person has unique quality that every single person has special God-given qualities that are unique to them and that can be engaged in Krishna's pleasure, for Krishna's pleasure. Every single person. Nobody is valueless. Nobody is, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a meaningless. Nobody has a meaningless existence. So the point, the point is that we have the deity. We understand. We're understanding from the literature. We're seeing how beautiful the relationships can be by reading, like here, even Lord Shiva and Uma as Krishna's devotee. Um, you know, they're saying, Prabhupada makes this point, they're saying that to become God, just like I'll give you an example. There was a famous Mayavadi years ago, he came to America, so the devotees were invited to this program, a bunch of people were allowed to speak. So this Mayavadi guru, he got up and he said, why do you want to become like Hare Krishnas? They will teach you how to become servants. You follow me, and I will teach you to become the master. And everybody's... I can't remember the name even. I don't even want to remember the name. Some vulgar, you know, just weird into some kind of domination and followers and so forth. But... but, um, the point that I want to make here, and you see it here with Lord Shiva, see it's pointed out in this verse here, that Lord Shiva is the devotee. See, it says the words, there's a Sanskrit verse, it says Lord Shiva is a devotee of the Supreme Lord, not the Supreme Lord himself. Because the representative of God is offered the same protocol as God himself. Mark and Rishi addressed Lord Shiva as the Lord. But now it is clearly revealed as stated throughout Vedic literature, Lord Shiva is an eternal servant of God and not God himself. So so the point I want to make here is that, see, the devotee of God is greater than God, you guys. God, Krishna, he loves the devotees more than his own life and soul. And God comes under the control of his devotee. Right? These yogis, these mayavadis, all these different persons, you know, they're trying to just get a glimpse of, of, of God as toenails or whatever they're thinking about, you know, the Brahman effulgence. And Mother Yashoda is able to pick Krishna up on her lap, hold him, and if he's naughty, tie him up. God's become so subservient to her. And yet if you look in Krishna's mouth, you'll see all the universes within him. So imagine Mother Yashoda's power. So the devotee, it's not that when we become subservient, being subservient, you guys, is an act of love. Like, you know, what is love? You know, our natural quality, you've said it a million times on the Warp Tour, right? It is to serve others, right? When we think about what's the quality in everyone, regardless of our religion or whatever culture or education or social position we have, is to serve others. Now, when you serve somebody else, when you do something for someone else, how do you feel? Feel really good. Now, if you do it for somebody that you love, right, and appreciate, 
you know, you feel even better. And the more selfless you become, the more deeply that person appreciates and loves you. And the relationship becomes deeper and deeper. It's like unlimited. That's what we're hankering for at every minute. That's the, the nature of our existence. But we're trying to, you know, direct that loving, you know, propensity into an environment where everything and everyone that we love gets ripped away from us. And that's completely artificial. That's completely frustrating. That's why my bodies and everybody else, at a certain point, they become insane or they just give up on relationships. So when we direct that up onto the transcendental platform with Krishna and we relate to one another based on our spiritual identity, which includes the body, it's not that we're excluding the body, but we're including the body, but we're understanding beyond this body, I have this spiritual identity that's eternal and my relationship with Krishna. That loving nature can grow unlimited, unlimitedly. There's no limit to love. There's no limit to our perfection. That's what life's supposed to be like. You know, we're meant to wake up in the morning and be like excited about living. You know, so, yeah, so the devotee, the devotee of God is superior to God. I mean, not that the devotee ever wants to be superior to Krishna, you know, every, but that's the position of somebody that, you know, you love. If you really love somebody, that person becomes more dear to you than your own life and soul. You'll do anything for them. You only think of them. You don't even think of yourself at a certain point. So that's our normal condition with Krishna and with Krishna's devotees. And we don't have to worry about being exploited because Krishna is the proprietor of everything. See, in the material world also, there's a whole thing of impropriety. You see? You might see some woman or some man, you know, and they're married, right? But they're very kind, they're very loving to you. There's this whole element, this, 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 um, you know, contamination of impropriety enters. But actually, if you look at it from even from a spiritual perspective, that's happening with everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's just Krishna loves us so much; he's letting us have satisfaction and pleasure. You know, even though we're kind of like giving, we've given up on our relationship with him. That's another proof that God loves everybody. That he still lets us experience pleasure in, in the material world outside of our relationship with him. Not that that could ever be, but it, I mean, seemingly, it's that's the situation. Anyway, you guys, uh, we're up. We went to um, thirty-four. Yeah, it just if you're listening out there, um, Achuta Govinda Prabhu, I finished the purport on 34. The verse for tomorrow is 35. This is 12th Canto, chapter 10, text number 34. Yeah. No, Lord, Lord Shiva and Uma glorify Markandeya Rishi. Yeah, so beautifully they talk about him. They just shower him with love, you know. Yeah, go ahead, Sampradaya. I think that young dudes, like people who curse 
No, no, no. Hey, check this out. I'll tell you guys something really cool. Yeah, everybody, there's a, a one of our Prophet disciples, a senior lady, Mother Malati. So she had a dream recently that they posted. Did you guys hear about that? So in the dream, um, she these divine beings came before her, this group of men. They were like so angelic and extremely beautiful and, and powerful, you know, and um, effulgent. And she offered obeisances to them because of their like unique qualities and everything. And she asked them who they were, and they said, "We're the Yamadutas." And she said, "But Yamadutas are ferocious and like gar, you know, like uh, twisted and gargoylean and uh, orcish, right?" And uh, she said, "I'm so confused." And she said, "No, that no, that the Yamadutas said, no. This is our actual original nature." our original forms as servitors of Yamaraj. But we take on those devilish looking forms to, um, you know, when, we, when we're when we employed to, um, you know, bring people to the hellish planets. Yes, yeah, Sam, the Yamadudas are your friends, man. We're all your friends. <laughs> I'm trying to tell that to people on book distribution too. They're asking me, why do you want so much money for this book? And I'm saying... Look at it. It's got beautiful, you know, 64 color plates, uh, you know, original uh, uh, Sanskrit translations. It's, uh, you know, acid-free paper, colored dust jacket, uh, beautifully bound, you know, uh, gold embossed uh, covers, right? And, and all I'm asking you for is a donation. You go into any bookstore, a book like this is going to call you 60, 70, 80, 100 bucks. I'm your friend. Yeah, that's a really nice example. You know, the the other point I, I was going to make to you guys is that, see, we have the unique quality, we have the the unique practice of deity worship in our movement. You won't find that anywhere. Even in the Hindu temples, they don't have this standard of deity worship or this level where, you know, it's like a constant engagement. If you get involved, even your preaching becomes deity worship, bringing people to see Krishna, to meet, you know, and then the other thing that we have that I don't see in other traditions is we have um, rasa tattva. We have the understanding that we have five primary and seven secondary relationships. Thank you, Mother Chitra. I wanted to tell you how everything was so organized after you dressed when I came this morning. So nice to come behind you and, wor- and worship the deities. You're really organized. It really helps. Hey, but this other thing is rasa tattva. We have deity worship, archana seva, and then we have rasa tattva. Rasa tattva means the understanding of how to relate to God in different with different emotional forms of love. Like I was talking to a lady the other day, she was um, trying to think she was an actress or something, and um, anyway, we were talking about um, having different relationships with the Lord, with the Lord. So I was saying, you know, in this tradition, we have. A, a relationship of appreciation. We have a relationship of servitude, servitorship. We have a relationship of friendship. We have a parental relationship with God, but we also have a conjugal relationship. And the beauty of the conjugal relationship is it includes all the other different forms of relationship. So even though, so let's say, for example, it's not that every devotee is a gopi or a queen of Dwarka or something, but we're worshiping Radha and Krishna because this conjugal relationship contains and nurtures all the other relationships. 
Radharani appreciates Krishna. She serves Krishna. She she's Krishna's friend. She maintains Krishna. She works and she's a conjugal lover of Krishna. She offers her body and everything to Krishna for his pleasure. So when I was talking, and she was saying, you know, I can relate to serving God as a conjugal lover. You see, like, people don't know that there's an opportunity on the spiritual platform to actually have a deep, meaningful relationship that's based on emotional love. God is just like, uh, you know, some vague or, you know, impersonal, you know, entity that's millions of miles away. See, that's the other thing about the deity worship, too, is that, you know, we have the opportunity to associate with Krishna. And the fact that Krishna is here, even though we may not see Krishna moving and dancing or talking to us, but if you worship the deity of Krishna, you get free from the modes of material nature. You feel it. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, I mean, it's really satisfying. It's Like, I'll give you one example and I'll stop... So the other night we were having a big kirtan, you know, in here with um, one of the kirtan festivals. So everybody was dancing for like hours. So after about like 30 minutes, even my daughter was in here. She's a like a professional dancer, you know, and she was with some of her friends and they were choreographing like some dance piece, you know, but there were, like the whole room was packed. And... You know, after about 30, 40 minutes, I was getting really tired. So I stood over here at the door and we, we were, we had the doors open to let air in here because it was so many people and it was getting stuffy. So these, it was right at about nine o'clock and uh, two couples came out of the restaurant, right? Young couples like in their twenties. And, um, you know, they're really attractive, two, two young, very attractive couples. And, um, one of the girls, you know, the doors were open. I'm standing there. And one of the girls, she looks in here and she tar- turns to the, her friends and she says, oh, my God, look at the, how they're dancing. She said, I'm going in there. And so she comes in with her shoes on even. She comes in here and she starts dancing. And, you know, the devotees say, oh, yeah, you know, you, get, you can't wear your shoes in here. So she comes back to the door here. And she kicks her shoes off in the hallway right there. I'm still watching the whole thing, right? And she grabs her friend and says, come on, the other girl. She says, come on. And so she pulls the other girl in, and then the two guys look at each other and think like, you know, they're already in there, let's go. So they come in here, and they're all dancing, and it was about like 11.30 at night when the kirtan ended. And uh, they were leaving. I was here. And they're thanking everybody. Oh, God, thanks so much, you guys. We had so much fun. We didn't realize you guys do this. Like, when are you going to do this next? And everything. And, uh, you know, those, they could have very easily just walked out, got in their car, and gone to some, you know, hip-hop strip club. I mean, you know, just to be transparent here. But, yeah. So people just don't know, you know, how much there is to to be experienced on a transcendent in a transcendental platform, and that's why, like, especially us as devotees, we need to like learn how to appreciate, like you were saying, and love and understand the unique, you know, a, a, a position of the devotees, so that when somebody comes, like when I joined, man, like that was the thing that was so far out, is like there was so much love and uh, concern and, and support 
that like you couldn't um you couldn't help but being caught up in that i mean i think the indian community you guys do a great job at this like you know if you ever get close with any one of the indian families you know, like they're, they've got you coming over, they're feeding you like a king, everybody's like, they're giving you so much respect that you don't deserve. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's just like you can't help but become, you know, caught up in that, you know, like, you know, and, and to me, beyond all the preaching and everything else we do, it's really the friendship and love that we have that really says, you know, everything. Just like, you know, for so long, we were, my wife and I were going around to all these festivals cooking for people. And what I came to realize was it doesn't matter what you say about health or what you say about philosophy or what you say about anything. Man, what it really comes down to is how that prashadam tastes. That says everything. That shows the love, the, the intelligence, the, the everything about it, you know. And then they take a bite. It's like vegan, vegetarian, like whatever, man. Just give me more. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's today. Yeah. So what I'm just trying to point and say is that you know that the love and devotion that we had that we show amongst one another and for Krishna is really the 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 the, the spiritual potency the haladini shakti the it's the energy that attracts all of us without that I mean you can be speaking philosophy until you're blue in the face you know you can be jumping up and down you know with that gorhadi bowl and and all of that I mean yeah there's benefit there but it's just not the same you know as somebody being like caught up in the that that loving mood they yeah it's not they they're not interested in how much you know it's they're interested in how much you care they don't care uh they don't care how much you know they want to know how much you care okay? yeah you know that's the thing like Prabhupada was mastered that like everybody he he was like he was able to just totally give himself. I, I, I want to say that's a definition of somebody that's a pure devotee, is they're able to completely give themselves to you. That is so unique. More personal with that person, when I can actually understand how rare, even if they're a brand new person, to just come through the door. And when we can understand the struggle of material existence and, under, and and also understand just how rare it is, it enables us to become more personal. You know, I, I hear a lot of Bhakti Tirtha Swami and I can see how he's just appreciating. And the more appreciation we have, the more personal we, be, we can become. And when we don't have that appreciation, it's basically Maya body. You know, it's impersonal. We're not seeing Krishna in that individual. So we're becoming blocked, we're becoming distorted from what actual reality is. And that's what our whole society is, is based around now, is this impersonalism because, you know, we don't want to appreciate people anymore. We want to turn away from them the minute they don't do what it is we want them to do, you know. Yeah. So, You know, I heard this uh, beautiful uh, lecture series by His Holiness Roma Padmarish to MIT students on leadership. 
And uh, one of the things that he made, the point that he made that I really appreciated was um, he was talking about um, seeing the strengths that everyone has and not their weaknesses. And then by building on our strengths, we automatically overcome the weaknesses. So even to help one another advance spiritually or even for ourselves, you know, just like if I point out something in you, <clears throat> the fact that, you know, we, 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 or the fact that you may have or I may have or I may be seeing some fault in you and I point that out, the, the, the very fact that I'm doing those things means I'm too weak to, to give it up. I'm too weak to overcome it. So if you point that out in me, I'm just going to hate you. Those are the people that are going to come back and put a knife, come uh, turn around and put a knife in our backs. You don't see Prabhupada talking about people's problems. You just see Prabhupada like talking about the unique qualities of Krishna and encouraging everybody to engage themselves in loving service to Krishna. And by doing that, we automatically overcome our weaknesses. I don't think there's much benefit unless you're very close with somebody, you know. You you, you can't, um, if you criticize another person, they're, they're just going to become resentful of it. It breaks your faith, too, if it's not breaks done. breaks their faith. Oh, my God. I mean, you can be going totally in one direction, and the minute somebody says something that isn't so constructive for your growth, but rather says it as an impulse, maybe it's out of envy or out of frustration towards what they want you to do, the person that is actually doing the work and having good intentions, it can really distract them from getting that service done or completed. You know, I found in my own personal limited experience. So, it, again, I feel that that's a lack of being personal, sitting down with the person. I was speaking with Vaisheshika Prabhu, luckily, a couple of weeks ago. And it was, again, I said, you know, about this preaching, I should play to my strengths, which I agree with. I should play to my strengths, but there's certain points where you just have to do the needful pray and just say, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I hope it works out. You know, and Krishna will hopefully, as always, empower or, or protect. But still, there's a, I used to do telemarketing. It was one of my 30, 40 jobs that I had. And there was a part in this telemarketing that was with them. What's in it for me? So when you would call the person, that's the thing they want to know. With them, what's in it for me? So that's what, one thing that he was saying too, is that yes, we played our strains, but also we have to show people this lifestyle we have to show what's in it for them, how how we can create somewhat of an atmosphere for them to come and, and be uh, enthused about it. So I feel like it does kind of, we have to fill in the gaps too at times if there's nobody else to do it um, because our field may be very limited on people. So, yeah, that was just something I was wanting to throw in okay. along with well, Thank you very stuff. much, guys. This is nice. Sorry I really got over. to reflect on a lot of... Uh, depth in my heart and I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so you guys have a great day. Thanks for forcing me to stay. <laughs> I was just about to leave and she came in. She said, no, you're not leaving. It was an aggressive mercy. <laughs>
<clears throat> no, that's not the, that is not the thing. I, it was just Sam and I and I, and we, we talked about, you know, some, the points in the verse, and I was just about getting up to leave the, you know, the class, and she came in, and she said, no, there's still more time, you know, I want you to talk. Wait, wait, wait.